0: Hello, freaks, and welcome to Radical Research. For episode 37, we dive into the strange and wonderful abyss known as Devil Doll. We want to mention a couple things right off the bat. They're almost warnings. Uh, One, it will be impossible for any podcast to properly convey the experience and career of Devil Doll. I think that's fair to say, Hunter?
1: Yes, it is. We are merely paying homage.
0: Paying homage, exactly. We're huge fans. We're going to give it our best shot. We think you'll hear why we say this. I mean, the the nature of Devil Doll's music is not given to brief segments and samples. It's also still shrouded in enough mystery and myth that like, despite our diligent research, which I, I think we did okay with that, there are a lot of stones left unturned. And perhaps some of the things we think we know, we might not know at all. And two, the snippets we're playing in this episode are longer than the usual radical research snippets. Uh, some of them are like upwards of five minutes Due to the long-form nature of Devil Doll pieces, we thought it would be hard to grasp the flow and gravity of Devil Doll if we were to keep them at our usual two to three-minute length. So uh, be warned about that. Not a bad thing. First world problem, probably, um, to get a lot of Devil Doll. But um, we hope fans of the band understand that and that new listeners will be patient as we consider these passages. We hope to do even a shred of justice to the Devil Doll name. Let's start with the name. There's a band out there, actually, called Devil Doll. I don't know if you came across this. Yeah, no, I did. Yeah. The the rockabilly punk, thing.
1: Yeah, yeah, I was gonna, yeah like kind of punkabilly thing.
0: Yeah, punkabilly punk female fronted. Yep. No disrespect to them. Haven't even listened to them. Don't care. Uh, well, <laughs> here I say no disrespect, and then I say I don't care. Uh, but you know, it's not Devil Doll. They 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 took a name that already existed uh, band with at least a pretty massive global cult following, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, and I'm only speaking for myself. Hunter is not as much of a dick as I am usually. But, <laughs> Uh, but the Devil Doll name comes from a, a movie by a guy named Todd Browning, um, which is a name that pops up if you read anything regarding the creator of Devil Dolls, favorite directors, writers, movie producers, all that. Mr. Doctor itself is Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde kind of smooshed together. And his real name, which uh, hadn't actually come out or at least been confirmed until around 2007, uh, is Mario Panchiera.
1: One of the fundamental influences on Mr. Doctor was his mother, who was actually a classically trained pianist. Uh, According to him, in one of the very, very few interviews that he conducted over the entire history of Devil Doll, um, he states that she was not a particularly adventurous music listener, um, that in the house she played Bach, Mozart, Beethoven, really sort of the, the canonical classical and neoclassical composers as box a little earlier than that but one of the really really critical things about his early listening experiences is that she found that light and music were mutually exclusive and that was an order that was enforced in their household. So whenever Mr. Doctor, as a young man, would listen to music, he would do so in total darkness. So he basically isolated that one sense, which created a very, very profound listening effect on him
0: let's talk about that for a second, because I know that you listen that way. Sometimes I prefer that way. Uh, even when I have people over there, at least they're good friends that understand me. I'll kind of insist that we do it in this dark. I mean, room if you and
1: Adrian had like a first double date, you're not it's like, hey, hey man, come on into the music room. We're going to turn the <laughs> yeah, lights right. off.
0: Totally. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> that, this, uh, you're this right. It's
1: called a uh, carrying for worm. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and I remember, um, uh, a couple people that I've lived with over the years, whether it was, a, say, a girl, long-time girlfriend or, uh, like, you know, just a, a male roommate or something, most people understood it. A couple people were kind of shocked. Uh, like, wow, isn't that, like, too dark or kind of scary or weird? Like, you know, like, no. it. Because um, for me, I, and I kind of stumbled on it myself, but, of course, I know a ton of other music listeners do this. It, to me, amplifies the music because music is sound. Music is invisible. There's no need to yeah, have I mean, any visual stimulation there. Uh, the visual stimulation, to, to me, is actually rather distracting. And in fact, I've kind of gone really minimal in my music rooms uh, over the years. They all will have almost no wall hangings, at least that you can see. Uh, they might be behind me. but um,
1: It is I don't know. the, I just find the most I, abstract I, form of art.
0: It is the most abstract form of art, but, but I find it, it gains shape, and it gains depth, and it just gains its own visual through the mind's eye, uh, and that the dark room, the dark space so, so helps that. I call it more colorful, if you if you yeah. get what I mean. Sure. Um, I just hear more. I hear more of the nuances. I hear everything. So, and you listen that way too, right? This is something you subscribe to. Oh, yeah, for.
1: absolutely. I mean, I wish I could listen to all my music like that, but I can't.
0: Well... The great thing about music is we can we can do it in a car. we can do it uh, while washing dishes. We can do it in a dark room. I mean it's you know mean it's, it's like just, sex <laughs> dishes yes, driving a car that's that'd, that'd be tough. But dishes that's hot, man. <laughs> All right, back to it though. Um, seriously, folks. Mr. Doctor. Which we'll call him Mr. Doctor. I think we, we prefer to call him by his, yep. the name that he wanted for Devil Doll. Um, this guy studied in Milan, Italy. We believe he holds criminology and philosophy degrees. And um, we, we
1: do have it on some authority that he is an attorney as well.
0: Right, uh, exactly. A, a man yes.
1: of many, many, many talents.
0: Also an author, which we'll get to later. Uh, yeah, ridiculous yeah, talent. He's, he's one a, of these he's guys. A,
1: yeah, he's a, he's, a, he's a Renaissance man, really.
0: For sure. For sure. So he he started out, uh, a little. very little is known about his early recordings or his musical experiences, but he clearly had his own vision in mind and needed some people to flesh out the music writing uh, that he was doing and the concepts that he was forming. And we came across this ad that he claims to have posted around Italy, I guess Milan or wherever he was living at the time. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna read this quote. This is um this is from the sort of ad that he posted around. A man is the less likely to become great the more he is dominated by reason. Few can achieve greatness and none in art if they are not dominated by illusion. End quote. So yeah, he wasn't like hard rocker needed to play uh, guitar, influences, Eddie Van Halen and Jimi Hendrix. You know, it wasn't wasn't that. No, right? no.
1: The the main thing is uh, looking for band members who are dominated by illusion.
0: Yeah, yeah, wow. And I think he's really like cutting right to the chase and making sure that nobody casually sort of reads this and responds. I think he wanted people that would read that and go, "Aha, that's me." Yeah. Most of them probably went, "Yeah, whatever," and they moved, you know, move on. Or I don't know if it sounded condescending, but it certainly probably sounded um, uh, a little intimidating. Sure. Um, He did find people. uh, He's had people throughout the five albums we're going to look at tonight, the only five albums that are out there. Uh, He's had a number of people come in and out of the band. And I think we should probably name the consistent core members uh, throughout the career. There's Eduardo Bito. There's Rob Danny, Danny, and Francesco Carta. And
1: Francesco Carta is really his most uh, stable, and reliable collaborator. And in, and in fact, even said at, at one point that um, Devil Doll was sort of the result of Francesco's piano and his own voice. So he's a yeah. very, very critical part of this story.
0: Mr. Doctor's first recording, as he again, as he claims, was on a four-track TAC recorder. Whether or not his first recording that anybody knows about, Mark of the Beast, was recorded on that four-track, who knows. This has got an interesting place in Devil Doll history, doesn't it, Mark of the Beast? Oh
1: yeah, for sure. It's it's like the uh, the Wu Tang record, you know, the the only one that
0: exists. Oh right, yeah. <laughs> you want to you want to describe the Wu Tang record for people who don't know that reference?
1: Yeah, it's a uh, Wu Tang Clan apparently um, recorded this one thing. It's pretty easy to find online, um, but it's there's one copy of it. It was purchased, um, I, I think, a few years ago for a, a princely sum. And I, I, I'm doing this kind of off the cuff, so I don't remember who the buyer was. But, yeah, go online, look it up. Pretty interesting. And, and this yeah. is basically the um, sort of classical gothic uh, analog to that.
0: And precursor, because this is like precursor. you're talking yeah. about yes. 87, 88 yeah, was way, when way, – uh, way yeah, and we should mention that it was about 87 that Devil Doll really coalesced into a thing, uh, and Mr. Doctor took it uh, and, and ran with it. And Mark of the Beast was apparently the first album recording. He decided uh, to press it onto a single copy vinyl, and nobody's heard it. As we'll find throughout the Devil Doll story, there's some things that have to be put into question in terms of various claims that he's made. Uh, and and put into the history of Double Doll. But we'll we'll go with that. I mean, I've heard that forever about Mark of the Beast. I like to believe it. A little section, a little couple bits from Mark of the Beast landed on Double Doll's actual first album, the one that everybody knows, 1989's The Girl Who Was Death. And they were rearranged a little bit, but that's about all the world knows of Mark of the Beast. Now, The Girl Who Was Death, this was recorded according to Mr. Doctor, first take, live in the studio. I'm going to call bullshit on that. (laughs) <laughs> There's gonna be a lot of bullshit calling the night, I believe.
1: <laughs> yeah. 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 Like every everything about Devil Doll has to be taken with some grain of salt.
0: We can certainly let listeners decide. Um <laughs> I'm I'm probably gonna side with you, but this is um, uh,
1: unless Vinny Calliudo is on this session, probably not first take.
0: <laughs> yeah, let's let's get into the world of Devil doll. and um, prepare yourself. It's, it's really hard to sort of set this up for people who have never heard it. Uh, I didn't know what to think of it when I first heard it. I didn't know what, what I was even getting into. I was I was given very little warning, so uh, I think we'll play that same game with all of you uh, who haven't heard it and uh, the ones who have, hopefully you'll you'll enjoy this as much as we do. This is a little bit from the girl who was death. We hope you're listening in the dark. His vocals really have to be addressed here. And we're going to hear a lot more of them, of course. Uh, A lot of those passages were uh, heavy on the instrumental side of things. But I love how his voice slithers out of his mouth. It's just this delivery that I've always found hypnotic. I mean, from the first moment I heard it. And it's really one of the most vivid examples of that Sprekka song, that style of delivery that's somewhere between speaking and singing.
1: Yeah there's a very um tactile dimension to his voice. It 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 has as much physicality to it I think as the music does. And it, yeah I think you're right on the money. Like yeah it's that that's a style that you know handled injudiciously can be really really ineffectual. But like oh, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't want to hear um Devil Doll's music expressed vocally any other way.
0: Well, that's just it. He owns it. That's what I mean. It's just like the the greatest example of that style. I think King Diamond has to be talked about here because King Diamond will do similar things with his voice. And for a long time, I think King Diamond owned that where he was between singing and speaking, obviously did a lot of singing uh, throughout. And in in, in kind of the bad way, uh, Eric Adams, who we love, but I think we love Eric when he's singing he he started to adopt this Spreka song style himself. I don't know, late 80s into the 90s. And it became really annoying because you're like, you're sitting there thinking like, why isn't he coming up with vocal lines? The music he's singing over certainly is viable enough for him to sing melodically. And he just started to do this talk singing that became really annoying. So if you want to think about what you're saying, like a really tough to handle sort of vocal style yeah, that can go terribly wrong, I, th- I think that's an example of when it goes wrong. Yeah,
1: absolutely. <laughs> We've experienced some of those uh, those left turns together.
0: <laughs> yeah, absolutely, we have. Yeah.
1: yeah, so um, this album is probably the one that is most conspicuously influenced by rock and maybe some metal music. It, obviously, what you heard was was very dramatic. It's very complex. It's orchestral. Um, but the girl who is death. I think the the metal and rock quotient is certainly higher than it is in any of the other albums.
2: Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah,
1: and, 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 and the thing that you'll probably pick up is that um, what you just heard will thread through the, the rest of the Devil Doll discography. I mean, this, this is a guy with a very clear vision, and even mm-hmm. though he sort of evolves the vision over the years, it's pretty it's pretty consistent.
0: I'd say, I'd say the changes that Devil Doll went through between 89 and 96 were small variations.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, no, it's, yeah, it's, a, it's he's a guy slow to change.
0: And I think perfecting production, perfecting composition in a way, but uh, yeah, you, you really do um, get the full Devil Doll here. I, I do agree with you that it is maybe a little more rock-based uh, than the rest of the stuff, um, but even that would kind of peek its head in. For even three, oh, or four, sure, minutes. even
1: in uh, DACI, we'll hear.
0: Yeah, yep, exactly. I listen to that stuff and I think one take, yeah, bullshit.
1: Yeah, there's no way,
0: can't possibly listen, be. There's
1: no way. <laughs> it, like, that, that, like the most crack Steely Dan lineup <laughs> could not pull that off, right? So
2: no, right.
0: It's it's pretty amazing. Uh, some of these claims, but that's uh, hey, awesome album. We really hope you buy it. We we think that uh, Discogs is the place to buy these. I got to tell you, though, uh, before we kind of get into some of the other aspects of Devil Doll at this point, I hear drum machine there. Do do you hear it? I do. Is that bad?
1: No. No, it's not bad. (laughs) No, I mean, you know, I've gotten over Crimson Glory. I've gotten over Typo Negative. So, yeah, whatever. Yeah, exactly. So... Devil Doll, you know, is not just about the music, it's about the presentation, it's about the cumulative effect. Mr. Doctor is a very deliberate artist in all those regards, and as such is very, very influenced by things outside of music, other art forms outside of music, such as film and literature. He's particularly enamored of uh, 1920s expressionist films and also 1930s and 40s horror movies. You know, Lon Chaney is uh, a big um, influence on him. I think he considers yep. uh, Murnau to be the single greatest filmmaker of all time. Um, yep. Yeah, a big fan of Nosferatu. And if if you buy these albums physically, you will see that that influence conveyed very very clearly um I mean, oh yeah i mean they literally like there are film stills in in the artwork
0: well the, the covers the back covers the booklets inside I, i'd say 90 percent of that is artwork from you know yeah film stills uh movie promos of some sort you know beyond that then you get a lot of great calligraphy uh my copy of the girl who was death has this amazing calligraphy that's uh second only to a ways calligraphy in Voivod, really right yeah, just beautiful, beautiful artwork. He paid attention to every single detail, and yeah, film is just all over the place on on these uh, yeah. records.
1: And I mean, there's a very filmic quality to the the music that he made.
0: Makes total sense. Yeah, yeah absolutely. absolutely. He released most of these records on a label called Hurdy Gurdy, obviously his own label, and. He had some distribution in the U.S., which we'll talk about in a second. Uh, Renaissance, a place called Renaissance, put them out in the U.S. Um, There are a number of versions of each record. They're fun. They're collectible. The thing about Hurdy Gurdy is that other artists and releases beyond Devil Doll are apparently part of the label's discography. But no one can seem to verify the the existence of these things. There's uh, HG2. The catalog number is supposedly Markheim. Uh, an artist called Markheim, a Rose for Emily LP, uh, apparently not released, only test pressed. And it goes down the line for Eitra Magister's Timothy album, uh, Man of the Clocks, uh, the Mastro Zacharias LP. All of these are supposedly not released and only test pressed. I find it hard to believe that, like, Any number of these bands, whether they were Mister Doctor Vessels or not, would go through the trouble of actually recording records and just test press them and not put them out. Yeah, I think it's pretty much just
1: self myth,
0: self myth, uh, bordering on hoax maybe. Yeah, yeah. Um, There's even a great one called uh, Mister, you know, by Mister Doctor under the Mister Doctor name called Mister Doctor Sings Hans Eisler. (laughs) Um, Supposedly came out. One of my favorites. Totally, man. I'm, I'm jamming dude, that thing all the dude,
1: time. That, that, those Eisler demos? <laughs> Slay. So sick. <laughs>
0: uh, this thing apparently came out in August 89 in an edition of 500 copies, but according to Discogs anyway, had to be withdrawn when the owners of the right to Hans Eisler's songs threatened legal action. That's all fine, but I feel like if 500 copies got out in any shape or form, even with 10 people, there'd be a cover out there. There'd be somebody that posts that on Discogs because Discogs is global. You know, I feel like there's hardly anything that goes under the, that radar that Discogs misses or people that contribute to Discogs miss. So again, I, I question that. Uh, and then there was apparently a cassette that came out called The Lost Tapes by Devil Doll. Who the hell knows?
1: But <laughs> there's the fun.
0: There's the fun. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, let's say you're at a Goodwill someday and you come across Devil Dolls Lost Tapes cassette. Pick it up. That'll be a really exciting find. You should definitely pick that up. <laughs> and send it to 818 Walker <laughs> Avenue.
1: <laughs> I was thinking more like 1912 Wall Tower Road. Oh, were you? Yeah, I was, I'll give you, as a matter of I'll fact. Give,
0: yeah, but I'll give that person 20 bucks for it. 100 so. you going to beat me on that. Five hundred
2: eighteen billion $18 <laughs> billion.
0: Sold. <laughs> um, speaking of distribution and all that good stuff, Ken Golden, our buddy at Laser's Edge, runs a fantastic mail order who I hope some of you have bought from in the past. I know I have. I know you have, Hunter. Just a, just a really fantastic service that he does. He still sells tons of CDs uh, and some vinyl too. He was instrumental, Ken was, in... Devil Doll reaching a wider audience in North America. Uh, he did a lot of distribution for uh, gurdy. and I believe once the U.S. copies came out through Renaissance, I'm sure he sold a ton of those.
1: And uh, apparently, according to Ken, um, he used to receive uh, phone calls um, at odd hours from uh, Mario or Mister Doctor,
0: who would Mister Doctor,
1: yeah, who oh, would speak yeah. in a very affected and deliberate voice. Um, one that was clearly the, char- the the voice of the character, not the not the voice of Mario. And he would he would receive faxes from him from time to time. And, and in fact, I think he received a fax in error, um, and that is how Ken discovered that he was an attorney in uh, Venice.
0: <laughs> in Venice, right? Yeah, okay, yep, that's right. Yep, yeah, yeah. Ken was kind enough to share some of his thoughts with us about that. That's that's pretty great intel, man. Can you can you imagine getting a call like? Ken Golden. You know, like, what are you doing? At 3 (laughs) a.m., you know, are you (laughs) cheating? As you can probably guess, just having heard that little bit, um, the music for Devil Doll was written after the lyrics are laid down. In Devil Doll, the music is functional, kind of in the same way that movie soundtrack music is in service to the images of a film, right? Sure. And. Of course, this is all this is all laid out on you know musical staff, and the musicians are given the music written out by Mr. Doctor. This is apparently how uh, the musicians sort of know what to play. There's no kind of riffing, there's no improvisation. It's all very, very deliberate and laid out. Yeah. Um, a couple of quotes we came across in a couple of interviews that we read again one of the, one of the, some of the few that are out there are really interesting. I just want kind of want to talk about this for a second. Mr. Doctor says, I always write lyrics first, and it is the most complex, delicate, and difficult aspect of the whole project. Lyrics themselves are music. He also says, bad lyrics are always there in their embarrassing emptiness, which cannot be hidden by an ingenious orchestration or a spellbinding arrangement, end quote. I don't entirely agree, and I think you're with me here, Hunter, that I think if you put lyrics first, and it's the focal priority over music then I think I understand the viewpoint in, a, in an objective kind of way, right?
1: Yeah, um, and, and I am of the belief, <laughs> despite having studied literature, um, that really, really great music can triumph over bad lyrics.
0: Yeah, and I, we, I think we both hold that music is way more important and deeply affecting than the words. I mean, uh, I'm, music-
1: a, I'm a talisman fan, and uh, you know, <laughs> I, I, so, yeah.
0: Too true for you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, that's, not a, that's not a song title, but it could be. It could be but yeah, it, see, that's why it works. Because, yeah, we may not love those lyrics in Talisman, but man, the music and the, and the vocal delivery itself exactly. and the passion exactly. is beyond those words. I mean, I mean it's, it, to me, and, and music says things and evokes emotions words never could. I, I mean, that's I,
1: why you can have instrumental music because it, it doesn't need words.
0: Right. Can you imagine spoken word only uh, trying to fly as either music or art, it, it's hard, right?
1: No, that would be um, extraordinarily difficult.
0: That's either speech or poetry recitation. Right. You know. So that's our viewpoint. You know, I we we break with Mr. Doctor on that. I'm sure he doesn't care what we think. Uh <laughs> right. but yeah, I mean we respect Mr. Doctor and we love Double Doll. So we you have to accept the lyrics being over music when you listen to Double Doll. But of course for us I, I think it's pretty amazing what is achieved musically within these albums you know oh. despite them being you know sort of music being the bed for the lyrics right, right?
1: we should uh, we should play some more
0: we should let's uh, listen to a couple from Iliogabalus and we shall return yes.
3: Hello, spreads always unexplored Open on the magma and sundry doors. Open on the magma. night, whose irrational daring springs. Only from the ignorance of danger, the doors open wide, and streams southern unknown. Ball and I trembled, fearing to be. Or I felt as if I had committed a hurry, Balker. Linking up at night.
1: just heard um was Eliogabalus um the first track was called Mr Doctor it was originally called the black holes of the mind um, the second snippet that you heard there was the title track Eliogabalus Eliogabalus um spelled a little differently than the album um, the actual name E L A G A B A L U S is the name of a Roman emperor who was a beautiful young boy who was uh, elected emperor, elected, appointed emperor um, at a a very young age. He was apparently, um, in the tradition of Rome's worst men like Nero and Caligula, uh, a dark soul, depraved. And apparently the Roman Senate ordered that no trace of his existence uh, should ever be left to posterity.
0: Yeah. And you know, a lot of his reign was, which was only four years. He ruled from age 14 to age 18. But, you know, he was uh, involved in a lot of sex scandals. He was sort of transgender back in the day when that was really completely alien. He disregarded tradition and taboo. Um, and yeah, like you said, he was ultimately assassinated uh, at age 18. And the thing, it's so funny because I, I didn't know this about the Roman Senate and how they would like strike people from public record. Uh, other governments in history have done that too. But um, but they would go so far as to like reface statues that once bore his likeness. That's amazing. Right. And what, uh, what a fascinating piece of history to base a long form piece on too. I'm surprised there hasn't been a movie about Elio Gabalus himself.
1: Well, maybe there, there could be. Maybe there is and we don't know it.
0: Yeah. Yeah the the album cover of Elio Gabalis is really interesting it's um it's sort of like a theater as if you were looking from the stage you see an audience of mostly colorful dolls uh, a few clowns are thrown in there as well and then you have all these different like theater stalls or sort of what well, i guess what we call box seats maybe and they have just different figures from mostly film uh you've got you know, Dracula is in there, I see, and uh, the Bride of Frankenstein. And one of the stalls, in fact, the stall that's center and f- and in the middle, kind of where the, the uh, line of sight really would go, is uh, a picture apparently taken, according to Mr. Doctor, uh, of Mr. Doctor back when he was a student. So this would be like late 60s, sometime in the 70s. And Peter Hamill <laughs> from freaking Vandergraft Generator. And you see it right there. And there's like a little clown between them. Um, so I don't know if it's them together. He claims it was Mr. Doctor said that it was taken in Venice when Peter visited him, although they first met prior to that, uh, the first time after a Van generator concert that, uh, Mr. Doctor just kind of like, you know, stalked Peter and wanted to say hi. And Mr. Doctor is actually a huge fan of Peter Hamill. He also notes that, um, how insane some of that seventies stuff was that Peter did, And I think that's that puzzling contrast between the insanity of Hamill on the Vanegraaff and solo albums of the 70s and the Peter Hamill that, you know, is just the person who is, from all accounts, um, our buddy Tim Bonus tells us as well that he's just a really chill, sweet man. And I think you can hear Hamill's vocal inspiration all over Devil Dye's music, right? all over it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Peter Hamill also sort of endeavored in the Sprekka song Style often, I mean, it's in, in like Peter Hamill is, if nothing else, a very expressive and emotional singer. Um, yeah, I mean that that you know that's the thing that sort of defines Vandergraaff for me is that sort of just wild, like, like completely untethered, like romantic expression that you get. Yes, and and yes. that and that's smeared all over the work of Devil Doll.
0: And it's funny, neither you or I uh, knew that Mr. Doctor was a fan of Peter Hamill yep. and Van der Graaff Generator until we started doing research for this episode. And then when we found that out, it really kind of made a ton of sense. It was surprising in a cool way at first, uh, just because we're huge fans of Peter Hamill as well. Right. But then it just you sit back and you go, well, yeah, of course. Yep. Right?
1: Yeah, I know. It well, yeah. makes perfect sense.
0: I know you want to talk about how we both discovered Devil Doll. Um, I, I always love to share those kind of stories with other fans of anything that, you know, you're into because it's it's always fun to hear how somebody else discovered. Uh, any listeners want to tell us how they discovered Devil Doll? I think it'd be really interesting if you uh, write in and contact us and let us know because, especially because of the sort of cult nature of Devil Doll. And uh, I think a lot of people discover them just, just pre-internet and um, just curious how they got around. I guess I tell my story first because mine is dependent on yours. Correct. Um, Chris. Yeah, Chris Maycock, aka Chris Black, of a number of things, but we'll just say High Spirits, Dawnbringer, and Super Christ, uh, fantastic writer, working on a uh, Bathory book right now. He, I think in no, late 96, uh, sent me a cassette tape of The Girl Who Was Death. And all he told me was that he and some friends of his. In college, he, I think he was at um, whatever Pennsylvania college is in, in the town called State College. Mm-hmm. What, not a very imaginative name for a town if you're a you know, college. <laughs> 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 I, and I don't know how he got turned on. I have no idea, or, or at least I forget. But uh, they turned out the lights in a dorm room and sat there and listened to the girl who was deaf from front to back. And he said they emerged feeling so altered, so different, so refreshed or just like as if you've gone through this experience that you will never forget. And I was of course totally intrigued. So when the when the tape landed in my mailbox, I put it on immediately, uh tried to do the same thing, tried to, you know, get my head right and and get get the lights off completely and and experience it and I had the same kind of response uh to the album and I've been a fan ever since. Yeah. So what about you?
1: Uh you Actually, so I guess you and Chris Maycock, so the first time I ever even heard the name was the playlist in your first issue of Maniacs. Um, mm. You had the girl who was death on there. And then a little later that year, um, the name appeared again in Maycock's review of uh, La Masquerade and for now by uh, By Chris, yeah. yeah. And so at that point, I, um, yeah, and like you said, I mean, you know, the internet was a thing, but it, it was uh, a much less efficient beast than it is today, and it was hard to track things down, so yeah, I like, I went on a, a goose chase for uh, for Devil Doll, and finally, I think in 1999, um, I came across the, the box set for D.A.C. on uh, on eBay, and that's probably the most money I've ever spent on a musical object. And so, you know, in keeping with um, the sort of comprehensive influence from the art world, obviously, Mr. Doctor saying that, you know, the the lyrics assert a primacy over everything else in the music. He's obviously a a voracious and a passionate reader. And I, I found some of the influences that he mentioned in one of these interviews that Jeff and I came across to be interesting. Not, I mean, not surprising, but like, he's interested in, in, uh, literary figures, um, that have sort of been lost to time, um, or niche at the, at the very most, like, uh, Charles Lefvenu, um, he's Irish, um, horror story writer, uh, early gothicist and, and obviously the gothic had sort of a, a trashy reputation in its day um, it was looked down upon by more legitimate uh, writers but has experienced a renaissance in uh, the last 20 or so years he also wrote uh, Carmilla which is a, um, a really pioneering vampire novel very influenced by um, L'Autrement who wrote um, Le Chant Del Maldoror, um, it's, uh, you know, a huge, huge influence on, um, English bands, um, of the sort of hidden reverse, um, in, in David Keenan's words, tradition, like uh, current 93, uh, nurse with wound, mm-hmm. um, coil, uh, death in June. Um, was, uh, sort of tangential figure in surrealism. He was influenced by, um, uh, Matthew Lewis, um, known to most gothicists as uh, Monk Lewis, because he wrote a, a very uh, transgressive novel called The Monk, uh, an early British novel, early piece of gothic fiction, and, and also um, uh, influenced by uh, Charles uh, Maturin, who was an Irish author of French descent. He wrote um very important gothic novel now called uh, Melmoth the Wanderer, Mm-hmm. uh which uh sort of extrapolates the uh the wandering jew uh tradition that uh came into popularity um during the romantic age uh yeah so there there there's a another sort of rich tradition that um underpins this whole enterprise of mr doctors
0: yeah and probably not surprising also that he's into well-known authors um of similar similar quality just not you know quite as Either obscure or occult, as some of those Franz Kafka, Oscar Wilde, H.P. Lovecraft, Edgar Allan Poe. This guy, I, I feel like Mr. Doctor is just this voracious consumer. Like whether it be uh, you know literature, film, or music. Which uh, we'll get into how big of a fan he is of music because he's written like a, a thousand-page book or something on, on, <laughs> on a particular subject. But um, yeah, what a what a what a fanatic. And I, I mean, I, I guess we can relate, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I wish we had the time. I, I feel like my life is spent looking for the time yeah, to so consume mine, more and more and more music. I mean, it's, it's always music for me. Well, not always, but, uh, you know, reading a lot, too. But, um, yeah, wow. Uh, yeah. This, this guy, I'm envious of, of how much he knows about all of this stuff. And it certainly, you know, plays into the music of Devil Doll. And, and, and we talked about silent films earlier. You know, these albums are like soundtracks to imaginary films. Yep. You, you wrote them to me during our research.
1: Yeah, totally. Yeah, I mean, I mean, really, like, there, it's almost like he's trying to create a film with music. Um, like he's using the most abstract art form to paint all these very, very vivid images. It's just that well, music is his uh, his chosen medium,
0: right? Uh, and then we get into classical composers, which you know we've discussed a couple of these on previous episodes, like Miskorgsky and Shostakovich, uh, which. Uh, respectively, inspired Mekong Delta and Voivod, who we talk about quite a bit on this <laughs> podcast. This brings us to 1992's Sacrilegium, the third album, and the follow-up, is The Sacrilege of Fatal Arms. I'm sure it's not lost on you, Hunter, that Sacrilege of Fatal Arms is from 93. That's a good year. Okay year. <laughs> okay year, yeah. We're going to listen to a couple snippets and talk about them when we return This is going to be quite a bit of music. You'll find it rewarding, we promise. Oh! From 1992 and 1993, that's Devil Doll's Sacrilegium and the Sacrilege of Fatal Arms. Snippets, of course. These are long-form pieces. Uh, I think we hear there, Hunter, the uh, kind of both orchestral and rock elements of the larger Devil Doll ensemble kind of expanded from the previous album. Oh,
1: absolutely. Um, Especially in the the orchestral sense. And there's a lot of, obviously, choral, uh, music influence um on on both of these pieces which are as you said yeah. uh you know s- like single long forms and and in fact if you would compare the two you will find that there are themes that run between both of them little you know motivic devices and 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 mostly choral that 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 would connect these two albums
0: yeah and clearly he found uh, a clutch a handful of people who could actually do the choral because that's clearly like you know human voices they're not sampled right. so, so by this time the recordings were getting even more sophisticated the layers were deeper thicker i think we hear that all over sacrilegium and the other album too huh? oh
1: yeah for sure yeah um, very very sophisticated uh recordings i mean like the the fidelity on those recordings is on par with like the most big budget U S albums from that time. It really, it's it's a a really kind of mysterious and marvelous thing.
0: Yeah. I, I I suspect by this time he had some kind of resources, whether it was sales from the first two albums or uh, his, his job as an attorney or whatever the hell it was, probably his job as an attorney, (laughs)
1: Um, (laughs) probably his job as an attorney. I'm thinking yes.
0: uh, <laughs> that he had the resources to do that because if you listen to those first two albums, you know, Girl Who Was Death and Eliogabalus, they don't sound quite as rich and rounded and and full and just, you know, they don't sound as 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 good as as um these others. And of course the uh the Azirai, which, you know, is kind of the pinnacle of, of Devil sure. Doll in general. I wanted to mention that Sacrilege of Fatal Arms is a revisited and expanded version of Sacrilegium for a film that Mr. Doctor says he wrote and directed. That's the intel and the info that you get everywhere on Fatal Arms. However, where is it? Yeah, where is it? I don't know anyone who's seen it or can access exactly. it. If you look for it, it's not anywhere. So again, maybe it's like on film reels that he made one of and you know didn't distribute. But um, I have a hard time believing that a full film was made and not released. Yes, this has happened. I think but that it's
1: it's more myth making,
0: more myth making. Yeah. I'll side with you on that. Yeah. This also gets us into the claims of live performance by Double Doll. Uh, he's mentioned before that live this, live that, we did a performance there, or did a live recording here, or whatever. But uh, again, nobody has any proof of that. Nobody ever once has come forth to, to show us uh, either photos, video, ticket stub, uh, <laughs> you know, stories. It's all apocryphal at best.
1: Totally. And I, I think that's the point.
0: Think, do you think they ever played no, live? No, I don't. How difficult would it be, at oh this, let's say, at the sacrilegium level to Dude, reproduce live? Are you
1: kidding me? I mean, you, you would need question, you right? know, probably a 22-person band.
0: Yeah, <laughs> exactly I mean, like, right. You
1: know, at the right. least, and you'd probably need a conductor.
0: I would like to think, and this is like uh, spoiling a little bit, um, but I would like to think that since 1996 – Mr Doctor has been in in hiding developing a live band to take it to like major cities across the globe and play devil dell shows. I hope
1: you're right. <laughs> in, 2000,
0: in 2020 the announcement will be made. I hope you're right. Jeff. <laughs> I'm going to plant that seed in rumor right, right here. <laughs> I doubt it. We'll we'll see. How are these albums made? You you no, had I, uh, I, I
1: don't know. I mean I I, I because as I say like the fidelity and the the depth of the recording, I mean, it's extraordinary. I mean, they they literally are on par with, you know, the like with top notch classical recordings. Yeah, particularly Dacery. It's like, how does a guy who is virtually unknown in the larger music world corral these influences and these resources and these players to create something like this? Right. I mean, I mean yeah. really, like, I mean, it's it's really, really extraordinary.
0: And you don't get much clue from the liner notes. They don't they don't give up very much at all.
1: No, I mean, again, I mean, if, it, if, it's if, all it's all a mask.
0: Yeah, yeah, fascinating, fascinating. This gets us to 1996's uh Mr. Doctor calls this quote the most complex and artistically rewarding of the five albums. you Agree with that?
1: Um, I think that it ties it up very very nicely i think that it sort of takes all the the you know the four albums that come before it and sort of bunches it up in a really really interesting way um it's my favorite of them it's the first one that i ever heard um but i do think it's probably uh the best one
0: before we launch into it what's devil doll's relationship with prog rock
1: um i well their relationship with prog rock as a thing is tenuous at best. Their relationship with prog rock as an ethos is, I I would say very, very, uh, close. I mean, Devil Doll operates in a situation where virtually anything can be taken in and synthesized and turned into a, a sound. And, and that was sort of the, um, you know, the original edict of prog rock, it was like, well, there's just no boundaries. You know, if we want to pull from classical, we want to pull from jazz, we want to pull from folk. You know, we'll do that and we'll sort of bunch it up into a rock context. And I, I think that uh, particularly on Diaz you hear Mr. Doctor doing that.
0: Yeah, the very epitome of small p progressive. Yep. Let's listen to two bits from the great Diaz
3: YOU yes.
1: in those last two snippets, you heard a ton of different stuff. You heard like some beautiful, like almost sort of AOR rock. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. Really yeah. in that first snippet, I think we hear like uh, French chanson. Um, I think we hear influences from all over Europe, uh, the classical tradition. I think we hear prog rock. We are just so many different things in this album. And like, Jeff, I don't know if you endorse this, but it's for me if I wanted to introduce someone to Devil Doll and their world, I would probably suggest that they start with DSRI.
0: I I think so. Uh I'm I'm all for that. The only other well, there's two others. Sacrilegium just I I find that to be just so strong throughout the the first one, not not Fatal Arms. I think Fatal Arms has some extraneous stuff that maybe it's not needed. And girl, who was Deaf, Maybe because it's my first one, and it's most rock-based, and maybe something that's more relatable. But what is the most impressive that Mr. Doctor ever created? It's probably it's probably the final album. Yeah,
1: yeah. Yeah.
0: So I'm with you on that. I'm okay with that.
1: It's it's all amazing, really.
0: (laughs) It really is. This is this is why this is why we've done this this episode. I got to say, despite our cynicism with some of the self-created mythologies that Mr. Doctor has fabricated over the years, clearly the music, the music was recorded and documented and released. And it's this documented material that we revisit often. It's a very, very special corner of music history that we hope we've done a sliver of justice to. Whether or not Devil Doll ever played live, whether or not there's a Sacrilege of Fatal Arms movie, and all this other mythology... For me, it just adds to the appeal of Devil Doll rather than takes away. Totally. We have five great albums. uh, And we hope we, like I said, we hope we've done uh, a little bit of justice to all of that. I want to talk a little bit in a postscript kind of manner because after Diaziri, Mr. Doctor essentially disappeared for most of us. There was just nothing else coming out of the Devil Doll camp, Um, everything was silent and uh there were no interviews there were there were no um no there's no new news um i think the only thing happening was just continued sales of of the cds and the occasional kind of box set version of of one of these or whatever it's um just became kind of weird there was a lot of tumbleweeds you know the guy has a collection of 40,000 records apparently i'm 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 willing to believe that I, that's like so michael I. and sort of i, I guess as an outgrowth of his fandom uh, of music, he wrote a hardcover book covering uh, UK and Irish independent singles from punk, new wave, mod, indie, metal, etc. cetera, uh, type bands. It, it's called 45 Revolutions. And he published it on Hurdy Gurdy. So it's a self-published thing. Um, I haven't seen it after reading about it and after doing this episode, I really want it now. So do I. <laughs> I'm just interested in his in his uh, interest in this. I mean, it, it it almost seems like he would have wrote a book on film or a book on classical music, right? I know,
1: like um, punk and mod.
0: How about these stats on this book? 1,173 pages, 4,550 color photos, 2,885 <laughs> black and white photos. And apparently it's, it covers more than 3,000 singles by over 2,000 artists, man. I'm, I got to have that.
1: Have to have that.
0: But if I get it, I might be spending way too much money on a format seven inch that I try not to buy. I like often. seven so inches. I no, I like them. I have like 150 yeah. of them, but I'm just saying I, like this book could probably make me want to buy like at least 150 right. more. Yeah, right.
1: I, at least. Yeah.
0: What happened to Mr. Doctor? He said that he's never stopped writing and recording devil down music. Now again, <laughs> grain of salt time, right? <laughs> Yeah. I'm kind of paraphrasing him when I say this. This is my take on what he's said on this topic. The birth and realization of a new composition is prime motivation for bringing something into existence. Fair enough. But the rest he says is, quote, inessential, unquote. What do you think about nice that? bullshit. <laughs> you want it. You want more. But you're the demanding fan. You're not the artist. Like, how about the artist? What about the artist who, let's say, he's actually recording albums? Right. Okay, let's just give him the benefit of the doubt. Okay, fine. Um, yeah.
1: Okay, fine. Yeah. I, and he, I, I actually would he, be fine with that. And and that's kind of the way that I've always looked at Canvas. Like, I just I'm happy to make music. So.
0: And, and, and somebody getting into it is just sort of a bonus. Yeah, yeah sort of that's license. just,
1: yeah, that's gravy.
0: It's gravy. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Who knows? No. Um,
1: I, I'm just, I'm, I'm sorry. And maybe it's my cynicism, but like, I cannot believe that anyone who would put the amount of effort that he's put into these <laughs> records, not giving a fuck if anybody listened to him.
0: Yeah. I mean, course, but you know, These
1: are like, these are massive works of art.
0: Obviously, but I think you know people change, and he's a he's a human sure. being after all. And sure. I think it's easy to forget that because he has become this mythological figure for uh, for all intents and purposes. And maybe something happened to him where he had sort of this realization or this revelation where I just need to create my art for me. I don't care about the rest yeah, of the world. Fair I, I kind of get that. Fair you know, but I also, as you say, <laughs> he went through such great pains to create. This piece of art that lived and breathed for everyone, I just find it hard to believe that he just dropped off the edge of the cliff. Yeah, me you know too. I mean? but, um, but it's a strange thing. People are, wait, but people like, are complex. People are complex, and if he and he's and he's obviously into in, into myth making, so if he really wanted to cr- create a myth where he's sort of this immortal figure, okay, and I'm not trying to put him on too high of a pedestal, he's done it. Oh yeah. You know, he's done it because we've got, we're not the only two people talking about it. We might be the, only, be the only two people doing a podcast on it this month or ever, but people wonder, people want to know. I guess get 45 Revolutions, the book. That's sort of the next devil doll thing. Maybe get into some um, some sort of criminal activity that you need a lawyer for in Italy. <laughs> Hire the guy. Hey, uh, Mario Panchera Pancheria Research that right?
1: recommend that if you commit a crime, <laughs> please do it in Italy.
0: Please do it in Italy and hire <laughs> the one and only Mario Panchiera. <laughs> right. yeah, yeah, one exactly. and only. Thanks so much for listening as ever. Episode 38 of Radical Research does something a little bit new for us. We are going to review KO Dot's forthcoming blasphemy album. This thing is due out in I think the second week of September. Uh, That episode will be out in about the third week of August, and we've gotten permission from the band and the label, which is now Prophecy. But I I got a promo of this, and I'm a big dot fan, as as Hunter is. Hunter's seen them live. We'll, We'll talk about that during the episode, I'm sure. And I was just struck on a number of levels by a lot of different aspects of blasphemy. Very happy with it very excited about it. And I thought that it'd be fun for us to go through the album. All eight songs will feature one to two minute snippets of each. And we'll also feature Toby driver on our blog, uh, in an interview that we conduct with him, uh, as well in tandem with the episode. So, uh, please join us for that. Anything to say about this, Hunter?
1: Excited.
0: <laughs> you like some, K-O-Dot. I love
1: me some KO dot. and just Ooh. love me some, uh, Toby driver in general. And in fact, Toby Driver, whether you know it or not, plays a very integral part of the sort of nativity of our relationship um, because we met at Prog Power um, 2001, and that's when I picked up the you know amazing modeling of the Well records. Oh, the App both bath and, and
0: body, 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 map. body yep. map. Yeah, I guess we've been following Ko Dot since before they were called Ko Dot.
1: Yeah, we have.
0: And we love them. We love all manifestations of Toby Driver's Malden of the Well and Ko Dot, and even Solo stuff. We're Uh,
1: we're, we're Driver fans.
0: We'll be covering that on episode 38. Please join us. Thanks so much for listening. Keep Metal and Prog and your entire life and your dishwashing practice weird. (laughs)